to another episode of the Curious Cat Podcast. I am your host, Sebastian Bowen, joined by my co-host, Zoe Marie Castleman. Hello. Hello, Zoe. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. What have you been up to the last two weeks? I've been watching a lot on Netflix. Okay. What have you been watching? I have been watching... I watched the second series of Criminal. Oh, so did I, actually. So did I. Well, I think I've watched all but one episode so far. What's your thoughts on it? I love it. I think it's really good. Have you watched um, the other countries as well, not just the English ones? Have you watched, like... Because they do Spanish criminal, German criminal. I've uh, done the German one. For Is there a second season of German as well? I haven't checked. <laughs> okay, because I know first season there was, I think... German, Spanish, English. I feel like I'm missing... Oh, French. And there was a French one, wasn't there? I think I did all of them in the first season. I might have missed one or two here or there. But, yeah, fantastic kind of premise for a show, I think. It's it's right down my alley where it's less moving around and action, just kind of dialogue. It's very... It's basically just purely dialogue-driven. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. so visual as well, isn't it? Because when... Because my partner hadn't seen the first series. So when the second mm. series came out, I wanted him to watch the first series. Yeah. And he said, is it all in the same room? And I couldn't remember if it was all in the same room or if there were flashbacks. Because yeah. it's so yeah. like descriptive that I put that in my head. Yeah, it's it's like you see the parts, even though you don't see the parts. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And although it kind of flicks between the, the main interview room and the room behind the scenes it is predominantly in one room but that doesn't bother me in the slightest I quite like that feel of I've always said I like tv when it's almost done like a stage performance and this makes me feel like this is something I could easily go and watch people perform on stage because it's just so well done Mm. it Um, doesn't feel like there are many takes does it it just feels like they were told to have a conversation exactly exactly so now it's right down my street in fact yeah, and there's a couple of surprises this season. It was nice to see, um, what is his name, Kit Harrison, is it? Kit Game Harrington. Harrington, yeah. is it? What did I say, Harrison? But yeah, Kit <laughs> Harrington, he was, I thought he was pretty good, actually. And I thought it was, you know what, I thought it was good. I thought it was good that he wasn't playing the the same character. Cause I know, yeah, I, I read somewhere that he was trying to branch out into uh, villains. Yeah. So this might, he wasn't the villain in this. Oh, well, no. he might be. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but, um, but he's potentially the villain in this at one point anyway. potentially the villain in this, yeah. yeah. And it's a really interesting topic that a lot of TV shows won't touch with a barge pole. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think they did it quite well. Yeah. Yeah, I think they did it quite well. And I thought his performance was really good. I, I was He was believable as the character, but I also just liked the fact that he moved away from doing the Game of Thrones Northern accent. And I think him playing that character made me feel like, yeah, I want to see you in other things doing this type of work. So that was good. Have you, have you got to the episode with Raj Kuthrapoli from Big Bang Theory? See, I... I I, I clicked on it just because I wanted to see the start of it because that's that's what a lot of people were talking about. And I haven't watched it yet, but I've watched the first five or six minutes just to see what his performance was going to be like. And it looks pretty good. So it I haven't watched amazing. the episode yet. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, and didn't know he was British. No, I did, actually. I did my research yeah. when I was watching Big Bang Theory many, many years ago. Uh, and that one always jumped out at me. But, yeah, he's he's a British guy. 
She's really cool. But he's a good actor. I think he's a good actor. In yeah. fact, I think all of them are on that show, to be honest. All of them on The Big Bang Theory, despite the fact that some people don't like that show. In terms of just pure actors, they are really, really good at what they do. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode. I've been watching, or I say I should watch, I have watched a documentary this week, which I thought was pretty cool, which was, it's called Unfit. And it's a documentary about Donald Trump. And what they did was they got a load of, I suppose, doctors and psychologists, people that work in mental health, to, I suppose, examine him to see what type of actual person he is. And it's a really interesting documentary. It's really scary in a way because they do show you some some things about his character that would let you know that this dude really is a sociopath or borderline psychopath, but... I suppose the conclusion they come up with is he's a malignant narcissist, which is um, a combination of uh, narcissistic personality disorder, paranoia, sadism, and antisocial behavior all mixed into one. But yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I don't know. I got a little sneak peek of this documentary, so I'm not quite sure what what platform it's going to be out when it comes out, Uh, but it should be coming out. Uh, this month if it isn't already somewhere so look out for it if you do get to see it and it's called unfit and one of the funny things actually one of them says is that one of his friends who's also a doctor i believe plays golf with him and he said one of the funny things about golf is golf is one of the only games in the world where there isn't a referee which i'd never thought of before this guy said that never that's never even crossed my mind but and the reason being is that you're supposed to reference referee yourself you know it's a gentleman's game so you're not supposed to cheat whereas donald trump literally cheats at every chance he can get in golf uh, give himself you know points that he doesn't shouldn't have you know, moves the ball constantly just outright cheats all the time and they say it takes a special kind of person to want to cheat constantly in life to get get ahead of everybody you know and, and not to yourself exactly but have no empathy about it ever um and no kind of sense of self i don't know acknowledgement of what they're actually doing still believing that they're winning even though they're, they're cheating all the way so very good documentary definitely well worth a watch and it's only about an hour and 20 minutes long i believe so it's one of those ones you can get through it quite quickly and it's quite enjoyable so, I think we have another good episode for you this week. Zoe, would you like to introduce what we're going to be talking about today? In 1941 England, five girls were sent away to live out the rest of their life in what was insensitively called at the time an asylum for the defective. The girls, all cousins, were hidden away from the public, absent from family weddings and other occasions. They were said to have all died during the 60s, although we now know this to be untrue. The lives of these cousins are a fascinating insight into how mental health was viewed earlier this century and also gives us an insight into one of the most famous families in the world. There were many other cousins in this family who did not receive such treatment, one that you have probably heard of. Her name is Elizabeth and she is the long-standing current Queen of Great Britain. Yeah, so I think this is an interesting subject. One that I only came across this year, uh, reading a book called And What Do You Do? by a writer called Norman Baker, an ex-politician. Very good read if you get the chance. It covers so many aspects of the royal family, 
not just this topic that we're going to be discussing today. They go into many things like the blood sports that the family is involved in, just the history of the family coming from a German background and their involvement in the uh, world wars and the Nazis. But it covers so many different subjects. I definitely would recommend picking it up and having a read of that. I think it's important to note first that um, when researching this topic, there's not a lot out there. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about is completely just he said, she said. So we do have some facts that we've based our timeline around. However, a lot of this, someone will say that something happened, someone will say it didn't. It's really difficult to find kind of what did happen. So we're going to try and be as unbiased as possible and look at it from both points of view. Um, Also to note that we're not mental health professionals. I did consult a mental health professional for their opinion, which I will read out later. Yeah, we're just reporting what we found as best we can with Mm. the information that was out there. And I think that's the same Going going forward from here, I think that's something you should keep in mind for every episode of this. We never want to come across as, as if we're experts in any of these fields, really. We're essentially collating the information that we can find available to us at the time, within the time that we've given each other between the episodes, and just delivering that to you guys. The whole premise of this show is to scratch that curiosity, so hopefully allow you guys to go and research some of this information yourself further if you find it interesting and possibly contribute towards the show i.e. through our social networks and discussions on the groups and the forums and and continue to to discuss these topics going forward but yeah very valid point so in 1987 the media uncovered what seemed to be a huge scandal for the royal family Ooh, one of many I guess. <laughs> it uncovered that two cousins in particular had been hidden away in a mental asylum and had been classed as non-beings by the royal family. So we've put together a bit of a timeline to try and explain the scandal, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um So it focuses mainly on two cousins, Nerissa and Catherine. They were daughters to John Bowes-Lyon, John Bowes-Lyon, brother to the Queen Mother, and Fenella Hepburn Stuart Forbes Trefusis, which is unnamed. That is an incredible (laughs) name, though. That's not just double barrel or triple barrel. That's quadruple barrel, right? That's like... I've never seen that before. How many names can you fit into one name? And clearly, everywhere I saw, that name was written in full like that. Yeah. So I'm guessing. I, f- she- I feel pretentious for having one double barrel in my name. <laughs> <laughs> now you don't have to feel so bad at all. <laughs> so yeah. this couple had five children altogether. They had Patricia, who died as a baby, and. Nerissa, Diana, and Catherine. Just to point out that Diana's middle name was Cinderella, which I love. <laughs> okay. Was that a real middle name? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It was, I wonder if there's a reason for that, though. She's Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, but I think Cinderella's never been used as a word, as a name that's kind of, you know, to flatter someone. It's usually used as a way of 
kind of pointing out your position or your role within a household. Uh, so, yeah, maybe. So if someone calls someone else Cinderella, you're usually seen as the person in the house that does the most housework. But you never know. So Narissa was born in 1919, one of the cousins we're focusing on, and Catherine in 1926. So we have a few more cousins that we're also going to bring into the mix. We have Idoni, Etheldreda, and Rosemary, who were the daughters of Major Henry Neville Fane and Harriet Hepburn Stuart Forbes Trophusis. So first cousins to Catherine and Nerissa. Mm -hmm. Second cousins to the Queen. Okay. So my first thought in this as well is that it may have appeared to have been a decision more made by the Hepburn Stuart Forbes Trophusis than not all down to the Bose Lion who we know is the Queen's family. Okay. So just to stop you there, so just going through, we've got some dates there, just to give you some ages in terms of how old these people are. So Narissa was 22. Catherine was 15 years old. Idoni was 29. Ethel Dredder was 19. And Rosemary was 27. So they, by no means, were they young children. So just let's just no. get that out straight away. They had already, most of them, gone into adulthood by this point. Yeah, pushing on 30. Yeah. Exactly. All these girls suffered from severe learning disabilities. Not much is known about their exact condition. However, we know that Narissa and Catherine didn't have any speech, but would point and make noises. They were suggested to have stopped mentally developing around the age of five. They also suffered from prolonged insomnia bouts, which aggravated their condition and behaviour. News reports in 1987 said they all suffered from a genetic disorder, which did not affect the Queen or her heirs, which I thought was an interesting point to make. Yeah, that is very that is, that is very interesting. Just putting it out there that this is a genetic thing, but it doesn't affect the Queen, just so you know that. <laughs> in 1941 on exactly the same day all five cousins were admitted to Royal Earlswood Hospital and were kept there until its closure in 1996 Rosemary died in 1972 Nerissa died in 1986 and Ethel Druda died in 1996 before the closing of Royal Wood Hospital. So the remaining cousins, Catherine and Idoni, were moved to Ketwin House in Surrey, England, where the NHS picked up the cost for their care. That's right. You heard that right. The NHS picked up the cost of the care, despite the fact that these people were directly related to royalty. The Queen's cousins. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. During the girls' time in care, nurses and many other sources state that the girls never had any visitors and that they did not even receive birthday or Christmas cards. So that's kind of a taster of what was going on. As I said, there isn't too much information about what happened around this. Um, to try and understand how these girls were treated, I thought it was important to see how their deaths were handled. So in 1940, Buck's Peerage reported that Narissa had passed away. 
for people paying attention, this was before she was even admitted to Royal Ellswood. She'd actually passed away in 1986. Catherine was reported to have died in 1961. So they lied immediately about when she actually died because they said they died. She died before she'd even gone to Ellswood, uh, which wasn't correct. Catherine was reported to have died in 1961, but we now know she didn't pass away until 2014. When queried about where they got this information from, Buck's Peerage only uses information passed to them by reliable sources. The editor, who was questioned about this, said that any information given to them by the royal family is accepted, even if they have conflicting sources. The information used here was filled in by the royal families themselves. So, no matter what sources come forward and say actually they have information <laughs> that can clearly show you the royals are lying it doesn't matter they'll just accept whatever the royal family put forward yeah That's a and problem. this was filled out that this was a form which was filled out by Fenella Hepburn Stuart Forbes Trefusis mm, themselves themselves when Narissa died she was given a pauper's funeral at the expense of the state she was buried in a council-run cemetery and was identifiable only by a plastic tag and serial number. A stark contrast to the Queen Mother, who died within a few weeks of Nerissa and received a state fair. None of the cousins' deaths were announced formally by the royal family, as is normally expected. In 2001, Idoni died in care. Buckingham Palace did not announce her death until a year after the event. She received a pauper's funeral as well in council-run Redstone Cemetery with a basic headstone. When announced, this wasn't as a royal update, but was announced by the client asset manager for the relevant local NHS trust. I mean, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, they are actually members of that family. And I suppose they did that in a way because had they had attended any funerals or done, done anything, and everyone would have been questioning who these people are, why are you going to these funerals? So they probably thought it was best to just stay away and just let them have a pauper's funeral but identifiable only by a plastic tag and a serial number i just think that's disgusting that is disgusting i mean that's disgusting for anyone, anyone. alone let alone the royal family um, you can afford a headstone and i i remember seeing somewhere that a headstone was eventually put up but that it was actually donated by someone else like a private member of the public had paid for that headstone wow that's incredible that's incredible. And also the Queen's mother funeral, just going back to that, uh, I saw some costs related to that. So that was quite a big affair over here in, in the UK, if you're listening to this outside the UK. But the Queen's mom funeral, just in terms of the numbers, we don't know how much exactly it cost, but just two of the costs that were associated with this. One was the bill to the House of Commons, because they get billed for that was £495,000. And another bill for the Ministry of Defence, I'm assuming to secure the funeral, was £301,000. So just those two bills alone, you're already close to like £800,000. And she's not the Queen. Don't forget that. Okay, so she's not the Queen, and they almost went close to, well, they probably spent well over a million on, on the whole mm. funeral in itself. Um, so that's quite disgusting. Yeah, I think no matter how you look at this and when we go through this episode, we will see stuff that may have another side to it or may, you know, be questionable. But this is fact. You can't get around it. This actually happened. All their deaths were lied about. 
all, you know, they were all given pauper's funerals, you know, some of them literally identifiable by a plastic tag and serial number. You, you can't get around that. That is just no. to treat someone like that is abysmal, no. especially when you have the means to provide them with at least a basic funeral. I mean, and even before their deaths, just the fact that they didn't receive anything, you know, like you said, no Christmas gifts, no financial aid, no no visitors ever. To know that you see those movies like The Prince and the Pauper, where he knows that he's, you know, a member of the royal family and it just bugs him that he can't return to his position. And you think, imagine what it must have been like for these five people knowing they are part of the royal family sitting in what I can only assume is a very grim place, especially in um, the times when they were admitted. You've got all this wealth and all this status and yet it means nothing, absolutely nothing where they are. And they're probably being ill-treated as well on top of that. According to anyone who worked in the care home, they were aware who they were. They were aware they were part of the royal family and Again, we say it later, but when the royal family come onto the TV, they get excited, they point, they curtsy, they salute. They know who they are. Yeah, I saw that as well. So, should we get into some of the rumours around the treatment? Yeah. There are many sources that claim ill treatment to the point of abuse towards the girl, including Norman Baker's claim in his book that the royal family didn't even provide Catherine with her own underwear and she had to dress from communal wardrobes. Someone else who had a family member in this home realised that every time they visited their loved one, they were in the same green coat. And what they eventually figured out was that they were only putting their personal clothes when family members came to visit. And otherwise they were just put in like institutional clothing. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, these girls didn't even have their own wardrobe and they were just putting communal wardrobes in Ketwin House that was actually closed over alleged abuse and questions over the handling of patient finances so we had one home which was in the early part of the 20th centuries and 20th century people with mental illnesses and learning disabilities were treated abysmally anyway and then we had Ketwin House under the NHS which was closed over alleged abuse. From what I did see it was essentially to do with the male workers um, who were supposed to be, the male staff members that were supposed to be washing the uh, patients at the institution. And there was some form of abuse happening there. And the fact that male workers were washing women with learning disabilities, you wouldn't find that in a care home today. No, no, exactly. That would be completely inappropriate. Yeah, so they were supposedly also ill-treated by family members We don't know what happened before they went into the homes or the troubles that happened there, but the homes that they stayed in claimed no one ever visited. They were cut off from family occasions, including Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding, where the women would not be invited. Despite the tradition that every wedding in the royal family should have as many children as possible, Nerissa wasn't even present at the wedding ceremony of Prince Albert and Elizabeth Bowes-Lyon in 1923 who would be the future parents of Elizabeth II and her sister Margaret. At the time, Catherine was already four years old, and for clear reasons, her parents were afraid to take her out to such events and had already started hiding her away. Hmm. And I suppose as well, television at that point was actually getting bigger. So Mm -hmm. 
and the Royals will probably be a lot more under a spotlight than they probably were in the past. So it'd have been a lot harder to hide an actual person. Yeah, and to leading on from that, supposedly their last visitors were in 1960s and then their existence was completely obliterated from the public eye. One nurse reported that if the Queen or the Queen Mum ever were on television, they'd curtsy, very regal, very low, and waved and saluted at Charles and Diana's wedding. So as I said earlier, completely aware of who they mm. are, even mm. though they're not able to communicate. Well, I think which I just think is heartbreaking. It, yeah, that's the part I think makes it so much so much worse and just that little extra bit sadder, if, if you can say that. But yeah, that's the heartbreaking part, I think, is that they were consciously aware of who they were and who their family was. And even if you weren't a royal member of family, just the fact that if this was anyone's family, just you or I, and you happen to be in that situation and see your family on television, you'd be pointing at the screen saying, look, that's that's my mom, that's my dad. Like, you, you know, you'd want to tell everyone that's in this institution the same thing. Um, yeah. The only difference for them is that... <laughs> Their family literally run the country. I did find out that to top it off at the time that this abuse was happening, or this ill treatment at least, the Queen Mother was actually a patron of the mental health charity MenCap, which for non-UK listeners is probably one of our biggest mental health charities. Correct. This is something that the royal family do a lot, is they, they tend to take on roles that they're not suitable to take on. For example, Prince Charles who loves hunting, who loves killing animals every single day if he could. And if the press weren't on him, he'd probably do it every day. I mean, I think he took his boys out as young as eight and ten for their first kind of kill. And he, you know, loved the whole event and talks about it before. And I think I remember Diana famously saying that she realised at that point that they were different people just because of the way they they admired hunting and killing things so much and how much it is deep-rooted in their family. But he's also the president, just up until 2019 or 2020, he was the president of the WWF, World Wildlife Federation. So from 2011 onwards, he's been the president of that company, despite the fact that they, for fun, <laughs> kill animals. <laughs> That's just the most bonkers thing ever. So like you say, the fact that the Queen's mother is, is the patron for mental health doesn't surprise me in the slightest. They seem, they seem to align themselves with these roles because I think in some way it disguises what they're truly about. Yeah, so... Um... In 2011, the media trying to, I guess, slander the royal family, a scathing documentary based on the information received from Earlswood employees was released on Channel 4. Now, Seb and I are normally very good at finding resources. Yes. Neither of us have been able to find this No, anywhere. it looks It looks to me as if it's been removed from the internet because... If a documentary's ever been shown on TV at any point or it's been online at any point, I usually have no trouble being able to find it through my means. But this is one documentary, no matter what I did, I could not find it online at all. It's like it's been completely removed. So yeah, that was very strange. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump into any conspiracy theories here. But they well, have I do enough. You have power. one conspiracy theory. Yeah. Not only could we not find this documentary. But even though I don't use Wikipedia for my research, 
What I do sometimes use it for is I will put in the subjects that we're going to research. I will scroll right down to the sources and click on some of the sources as my jumping off point to start uh-huh. researching an episode. Catherine and Larissa are not on Wikipedia. They are not mentioned. They are mentioned once under their father's Wikipedia page to say that, you know, they existed and that this documentary was about. Mm. I find it almost unbelievable that no one has tried to make a Wikipedia page about these girls. Exactly. And I think it's just one of those subjects you start thinking and start questioning, well, how have they been managed to get away with that for so long, you know, and how have they managed to hide this from the public to the point where it can't be reported, which is something, again, that is covered in the book in terms of, how news is reported and how much power they have in terms of keeping the press in check. And it's mainly to do with the fact that everybody who's in media would love to have an interview with someone of the Royal family and they don't ever want to strike that off. And if you do cross the Royal family at any point, they will immediately cross you off that list. So your organization, whether you be the BBC or ITV or whatever, you will never get that interview ever again. You will never get to speak to anyone in the Royal family again. And coverage for the Royal family in this country is a huge deal. You know, like if they do something, it's usually shown on more than one channel at a time. It's a goldmine. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a gold mine. You know, you're going to get the viewership that you want, um, which is what television stations are, are, are trying to do in the first place. So, for example, showing a royal wedding, which is going to take up the majority of the day, which means you're going to sign all these celebrities and stuff to talk about the wedding, all the people that design the dress. And then you're going to have all the celebrities at the wedding, which is an added factor itself. It's a gold mine. You know, you're going to have eyes on the screen. They don't want to jeopardise this relationship with the royal family, hence why they're unlikely to print anything that is going to put them in that light. Yeah, and you don't have to look any further than Harry and Meghan to see a thousand examples of that. Exactly. And all their lawsuits against the media and how they've been blacklisted by the media and will never talk to them again just because the media was reporting. Well, I'm not on the side of the media here. I think they probably did cross some lines, but some of the sources they got were from reliable sources and it was still classed as slander it's yeah. it's very messy but the, the royal family and the media's relationship on a whole is just hugely messy it is. so in this documentary that we were unable to find um it told the story of the queen's hidden cousins born in an era where children with learning disabilities were a family shameful secret and this it clearly was they've treated them in a way that would show exactly that I did see when I was doing some research online, and as I have said multiple times, we haven't seen it, that it wasn't the most reliable documentary and it didn't have very high ratings. Apparently, it was quite royal family bashing. Um, The content wasn't brilliant. But what it did do was bring the the scandal back into light because it had kind of been forgotten about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where its importance was. So now we've had a look at some of the rumours and treatment. I think it's important to have a look as one of the arguments or explanations as to why the girls were treated like this is to actually how mental illness was viewed at the time. Yeah, I mean, mental illness at the time was, it was seen very, very differently. I mean, Ellswood itself, the institution, existed in the time before the NHS and any reforms. Um, At the early part of the 20th century, learning difficulties were stigmatised and it was common practice 
was to institutionalize any loved one. I know you gave this place a name at the start that it was known as, but I actually saw another name where it was known as the National Asylum for Idiots. And that was the official name for it when it first opened in 1853. It was called the National Asylum for Idiots. So just to kind of frame that, you would never be able to do that in 2020. So, you know, um, and, and neither should you be able to. But just to frame that in terms of the way people saw people back then, it's very, very differently. Um, as a new century dawned, and with reforming the NHS, such institutions closed. The Royal Earlswood closed its doors in 1997, but not before being home to Catherine and Anarissa for many, many decades. The imposing Royal Ellswood was the country's first purpose-built asylum for people with learning disabilities. Nerissa and Catherine were 15 and 22, respectively, when they were admitted. Nerissa's medical records categorise her as an imbecile. She makes unintelligible noises all the time, stated one of the doctors. Very affectionate and can say a few babyish words. So they were on the, the actual formal medical records, those words... Mm. as an imbecile yeah that's quite speaking, that's quite telling speaking like a baby yeah mm. a nurse for the channel 4 documentary stated that today they'd probably be given speech therapy and they'd be able to communicate much better they understood more than what you'd think they could which is what we were saying about them being able to identify their own family on television and still yeah. being have knowledge to curtsy and bow uh, and stuff like that the sisters were unfortunate to have been born in an era where mental disability was seen as a threat to society and linked to promiscuity, feckless breeding and petty crime. Add the characteristics of the underclass, associations encouraged by popular belief in the science of eugenics, soon to be embraced by the Nazis. Sir Jan Wormsley, the Open University professor in the history of learning disabilities, said, belief was if you had a child with a learning disability there was something in your family that was suspect and wrong at the time for the bose lines this was a stigma that could threaten their social standing and taint the marital prospects of other children it says a lot about them times when the royal family felt like they had to preserve a flawless image of power and show the lion is fit to lead the highest office of the land however we know that the mental illness has been in the royal family for years George III is known as being mad, and right to present day, both William and Harry have been very forthcoming with their mental health struggles, supporting mental health charities today. Although we've got Harry and William on the TV telling us about mental health problems and, and trying to shed light on that, they still neglect to tell us that, you know, one of their, I suppose, great aunts, would that be a great aunt for them, is, you know, in a mental institution, and that's not far away. And that she didn't die until 2014. That's very recent. Yeah. And as we said earlier as well, um, these girls were diagnosed with a genetic disorder, which the Queen didn't have. <laughs> yes. So yes, it's that image of perfection. Yeah. As I said at the beginning of this episode, Seb and I aren't mental health specialists. Um, as a side note, a little bit about your host, we have we do both work in healthcare, have worked with many mental health professionals, but aren't mental health professionals ourselves. No. However, I did consolidate with a mental health professional for this episode, and I sent her our research so that she could tell us what she thought. 
she said that her immediate thoughts were that this could be based around either issues of incest and or abuse. She said that maybe they were mistreated because they were less able, but often with systemic abuse can leave young people mute and with extreme behaviours. She also said that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that people became institutionalised and could actually develop mental health problems that were not an issue before going in. So I thought that was really interesting to point out that, you know, when I was talking to her about this, her unprofessional opinion, I think I sent it to you, said she was very disappointed with the royal family and said that even in this time, they shouldn't have been treated like that. It was abuse. It it was disgusting to treat them the way they did. Mm. Her unprofessional opinion, (laughs) her professional opinion being that actually she felt like a lot of this had exacerbated how their mental illnesses developed and being hidden away and you said it earlier not being given things like speech therapy Mm. um exacerbates this massively when actually if they got the help and support they needed by medical professions and the family they could have been functioning members of the royal family yes but would they be functioning to the level and standard that the royal family wanted to because the Queen really does come across as probably the most normal one out of the whole family. I mean, Princess, is it Margaret, her sister? Uh, Princess Margaret yeah. comes across okay as well. A little bit. But even then, she's known as a rebel or slightly off it. the tracks. And she's, she's just a normal human being. Yeah. That's what I was going about to say. She's, she's always seen as this rebel kind of character or a little bit. I've seen, I mean, even... Um, I've read some things about her and being incredibly racist as well at times and just saying some really inappropriate things. I think the Queen is probably the only one that understands how she should present herself, how she should talk at all times, how she should be at all times. And, and she's had a lifetime of training. You have to understand she's the longest reigning queen of all time for any country on the planet. Like she's literally been there forever doing this job forever. She's wrote the book on this job essentially. So any other queen to follow would only need to look at queen Elizabeth to know what it means to actually be a queen. So it's, it's hard to measure her against other Queens because you're only ever told about this one. For one, I mean, for most countries, she's their queen as well. I mean, I I didn't realize until I was about, I think it was about 19, until I realized that she's still the queen currently for 21 other countries. You know, like Australia's one of them, Canada's another one. I remember the first time I went to Canada, I couldn't believe she was on their money and she was still seen as their queen, the same way they they look at her in in the UK. So people don't really realize how, how much, I suppose, I don't like to say the word power, but how much influence Influence. she still has over the planet. Her reach is very, very far and wide. Yeah, I think we've had a look at some of the ill treatment and some of the probably some of what puts the royal family in a dark light. Whilst doing this research, I was able to find kind of the other side of the argument and some people who contradicted what we have been told which i think is only fair yeah i think it's fair yes we have a look at that so here we can unpick some of the allegations that we've spoken about before to see how much if any of what we have talked about is true or at least the whole truth so in 1996 the daily express reported that the queen mother only learned that catherine and narissa were in royal Earlswood in 1982 
when the hospital's League of Friends wrote to her. So it's important to note that even other members of the royal family, these cousins were being hidden away from. Yeah. And whilst many were disgusted upon learning the fate of her nieces, she didn't appear to do anything for them. She didn't appear to have visited them, despite, as we said earlier, being a patron to Mencap. Another newspaper in fact reported that the Queen Mother had sent a four-figure sum to the home after she found out about the girl's existence so that birthday cards and Christmas presents could be given annually to them. Again, this is really hard to corroborate. Either way. But I um, still find that incredibly cold. Regardless, even if she, I mean, okay, so she only found out in 1982, which I believe is a lie. Me, personally, I don't believe that. I think she may even had a hand in them being sent there in the first place. But even if you found out in 1982, you'd be shocked. You'd be like, wait, what? I've got cousins where? What's going on? They're part of this royal family. Why are they over there? Like, you would do everything you could to get them out of that position or at least try to rectify the situation and make it more comfortable for them if they were to remain there. But then to only send money... (laughs) Uh, it feels even colder because you've got tons of money. You've got infinite amount of money. So really that doesn't mean anything to you to send a thousand pounds or even if it's four figures, the most it can go to is what? 9,999. So, you know, it's, it's still nothing for them to do that. What would have been more beneficial for these cousins is for the family to come and visit. Surely that would have been, the icing on the cake that would have been like okay we're 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 starting on the on the right foot here we're going to make a change and we're going to show the world that we as patrons from mencap are going to take care of our family and do what's right by these people but yeah and I, not- I had i had read also that actually the girls with the um their developmental abilities they wouldn't have appreciated gifts anyway they wouldn't have no no and I don't think anyone in that position or that situation probably would have anyway. I think you may have at first been kind of overwhelmed with the fact that for the first time in your life, you've been bought a present. But then once the reality sets in and you realize, actually, I would have rather have seen my family, that gift or that present doesn't mean as much. You know, it's very empty. No, and on them having no visitors, the Channel 4 documentary claimed that the father of Catherine and Larissa had never once visited them in the care home. So this is true, but hardly surprising as the girls entered the facility in 1941 and their father had died in 1930. So okay. this might just be an insight into the the research that went into this documentary. Right, okay. As for the rest of the family never visiting, the daughter of their sister Anne, born in 1917, said that that's completely untrue. Anne, who married and became Princess Anne of Denmark, often visited Catherine and Larissa and took and sent them gifts. Apparently, they had no idea who she was. The girl's mother, Fenella, was the only visitor they recognised, and she visited regularly until her death in 1966. At first, other family members would visit too, but the girls didn't recognise them, so staff diplomatically suggested that their visits were disruptive. I'm not sure how true this is, since we've already been told by the same people in that home when the royal family were on telly, they knew who they were and what to do. Mm. So that's a bit conflicting. But also, 
but the other thing is, don't forget their ages when they went in. So they were adults already by that point. It's not like they were institutionalized when they were small children and maybe had time to forget who the royal family were. They went in, you know, some of them at the age of 20-something. So they've spent 20 years with these people. They definitely know who they are. So I, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that they would recognize the royal family had they seen them on TV. Mm, yeah, I agree. So on the Burke's peerage that we spoke about earlier, which has been the, labelled the Facebook of its day, claimed <laughs> that there had been no attempt to cover up their existence and said that the mistake had been caused by errors made by a family member when filling in the forms they had been sent. I have seen something else again coming back to this, saying that exact dates of death were given, and I'm not sure how that would be put down as error. And and I don't believe there was any errors on those forms. I think the only errors that are on there are purpose errors, like things that they either didn't or did want to report on there for very specific reasons. Um, but they're not a family that tend to make huge mistakes like that. Yeah, I completely agree. When the documentary was released, Buckingham Palace decided not to comment on the situation. But some media reported that Elizabeth II was upset by the fake facts and unfair suspicions of the improper treatment of the relatives. So I think this comes back to what we said at the beginning. This is literally he said, she said. We don't know what exactly happened. We don't know what efforts were put in. We don't know what's being covered up. Mm. Clearly, something was. And I think this is the same for most of the things conspiracy type things that surround the royal family it's just it's always comes down to them saying one story and sticking with it no matter what you know if we look at the prince andrew situation right now with the jeffrey epstein and him clearly being in a photograph with a woman and that photograph being taken and shown to him and his excuses it 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 may not be him. It may it may be a doctored photograph. I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm in a photograph with a woman who's holding me, and someone says to me, "Was that me in that picture?" The word "maybe" doesn't come out in the next sentence because it either is or it isn't me, and I'd be able to prove that quite easily that it's not me because if you look there quite closely that person is not actually me. It looks like someone who looks like me. Or you say, yes, it is me. But you can't say maybe, because that's not like a photo that's been taken with a group of people where you're out and about and maybe you forgot about that day. He's he's posing for the picture. <laughs> Most people that pose for a picture, you remember the, at least a vague recollection of when you took that photograph. So I just can't believe him. And then his other excuse was something to do with, well, he couldn't have been with that woman in a, in a nightclub at a certain time because she said that he was sweating and apparently he doesn't sweat. I mean, <laughs> it's just, yeah. And the thing is they expect you just to believe these things. So when I hear these types of lies that they come up with, I have no doubt that they would have got away with much more back in the day when, you know, the public were just seen as peasants and paupers and and we've not we've not much means of actually finding the truth you know so yeah it doesn't surprise me in the slightest and there's so many other stories like that what other type of conspiracies did we come up with for this one yeah well i think one of the most important what things is maybe not a conspiracy but it's the why when and how 
So why were all the girls placed in the home on exactly the same day? Why, when the women were approaching adulthood, you know, Catherine and Narissa were 15 and 22, were they then put in the home as adults? If the family had stayed together for that long, what was the breaking point? Now, I had a look into this. Obviously, we know that Catherine and Narissa's father had died and their grandfather, Lord Clinton, had started thinking about the girls' futures. It was obvious that their parents were going to grow older and eventually die and other arrangements would have to be made for his granddaughters. While debating the future of the cousins, the UK was thrown into World War II and many of the care staff who took care of the girls and the family, the men would have been sent off to war and the women would have been sent to cover the jobs typically carried out by men when they were away. So that may give us an answer as to why they were put in the home on the exact date. In my head, it still doesn't completely add up as to why they would just put five girls away. I'm not sure how you feel about no, it. No, and the other thing is, okay, let's say it was done for that reason, that World War Two was upon us and um, there was no one there genuinely there to care for them. Then why not go back and get them at some point? This is the thing. Like Once the war's over and you realise, oh, they actually made it through the war, they're still alive, okay, wouldn't you, you know, send for them to come home like, or at least visit them? Because it's the whole non-visiting and no monetary kind of um gifts or anything or any help or any aid that's the part i think most people find despicable it's just that you have literally just taken five people from your family and dumped them somewhere and totally forgot about them so although that could be a very plausible reason as to why they were sent there which i'm still inclined not to believe that but um it doesn't explain their actions after the fact yeah i agree but what I do think, though, um, one of the reasons why they might have been the way they were, um, which we touched on earlier, was um, inbreeding and, and incest and something we do know that goes on in the royal family. They do heavily believe in bloodlines, uh, and this is for all royal families, not just the British royal family. There is something about them trying to keep the bloodline pure and trying to make sure that you are one of the same um and it does go on and if you know anything about um genetics you will know that's that's not a good way to go you want to try and spread out <laughs> the genetic gene pool as far as you can rather than keeping it in the family so that could explain why these girls were the way they were yeah i think historically i think this is plausible to me i think historically people thought that a little bit like um, survival of the fittest. You know, the strongest people breeding with the strongest people will create the strongest people. And what we didn't realise, and we can see this in all sorts of things today, even Game of Thrones did it with the Targaryens, you know, all this inbreeding to create that, you know, really strong family. Yeah. And what we didn't realise, because we didn't have the science at the time, is actually when you start this inbreeding and incest, the complete opposite happens. You shrink the gene pool, and you get a lot of issues that come up with it. So although the royal family today um, don't necessarily take part in this, the effects of the royal family practicing... Allegedly. I want to say allegedly there, because I don't know if they've stopped this practice at all. Um, But 
having a look at the wives of the latest siblings, maybe they're now starting to realise it wasn't a good idea. Um, Because I have heard, actually, that Princess Diana is loosely related to the royal family as well. So so it didn't stop there. But maybe with the next generation, because William and, and Harry have clearly chosen someone that isn't related to them commoners and that was made a big deal of that they yeah. were commoners and they weren't part of the royal family so actually exactly. until megan and um kate it was encouraged that they would mm. choose wives within the royal family and the, the royal family is very broad but they they are related yes and there's no getting away from that point yeah yeah so another theory is the cousin swap theory which is uh, Catherine Bowes Lyon was born in the same year as the Queen, 1926. The conspiracy theorists say that the Queen's parents realised that she was mentally defective and that when Catherine, who was born 10 weeks later, arrived on the scene, the two babies were swapped. They claim that it is actually Catherine Bowes Lyon who is on the throne today and that the real Queen was the one who spent her life in the asylum. So this is literally... Going back Out to there. the story of Prince and the Pauper. This is like, this is the real version of that. I would yeah. so love this to be true. Oh my God, would I love this to be true. The one thing that sticks out for me is that I'm not sure if the parents could have realised that Catherine was mentally defective as a baby. Normally learning difficulties, you will see or they will become prominent when the child starts to go through periods of learning, which obviously doesn't happen at mm, 10 weeks off. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, it but would, maybe maybe the, there were some signs earlier on. I mean, we don't know if it was straight away at birth, you know, who would, who would know Yeah. until like, you know, from two to three to four. Cause I mean, I think most people became aware of the queen very young age. Don't get me wrong, but not maybe as, as young as, one or two would you no, be able as to you recognize said, her? as you said they weren't in the media then it's not like how kate releases annual pictures of her three children or yeah, yeah. Um, exactly completely different in them times it, it is the best conspiracy theory i'm not sure how much well it's a conspiracy theory believe it exactly. or don't believe it <laughs> yeah it's a batshit crazy one but i quite like it what is not a conspiracy theory, though, is in 1841, there was a male heir directly related to the future Queen's mother, and his name was Thomas. And the Bose Lions officially said that he died not long after birth, when in reality, he was disabled and mentally ill, and actually lived locked up for decades in a castle. We know from records he was baptised, but there's never been a gravestone to back up their version of events that he died shortly after birth. So, again, this is another member of the family that was born. We know he was definitely born. There are birth records. There are records of him being a person. And then them introducing a narrative that can't be officially confirmed. And other people saying, well, actually, no, we know that guy lived for decades and he was locked up in a castle. And there are reports of people who have seen him. Did you come across this one? Yeah, I've come across it um, in research that I've done before, not necessarily for this episode. And I do remember reading that the people who were staff in the castle that he was kept in, one of their duties would be to kind of feed and clean him. And he was literally 
shut away in almost like a secret room behind a bookcase kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, on the actual records, there was no there was no death on official records. He completely disappeared, which sounds like exactly what they tried to do with these girls by faking their deaths before yeah. they died. Yeah. And who knows if he was not shipped off to some institution at some point just because it was becoming problematic for them to keep hiding him. There was another cousin that I found when I was researching this called Timothy. He was a chronic alcoholic and he was placed into a rehab and was never heard of again either. And I couldn't even find much information on whether he's still about, where he is, whether he has died. He's been completely deleted from the narrative as well. And he's directly related to the Queen as well. Yeah. So for all we know, there could be many others as well that we don't know about. Exactly. I mean, it's a big family, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that that would happen. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting now to see what they would do going forward, because obviously in modern day times now, you would never, I say never, because they have their means, but I, I'd like to think that they could never get away with doing something like this again. Just delete Andrew from history. <laughs> just delete Andrew from history. I mean, his punishment, his punishment for allegedly raping this girl and, you know, rolling around with a convicted paedophile was to not do any public duties. Oh, I'm sure he's really hurt by that. You know, it's like, come on, that just doesn't make any sense. And we're supposed to believe in some way that's a punishment for him. When really he's going to be getting probably the same allowance he was getting before for doing a lot less work now. Um, more time to party, I guess. But yeah, I could, I could never see him being extradited to um, the States to give evidence on this Epstein case. I'm assuming... There's going to be many more twists and turns in that story before we get to any form of conclusion. Yeah, and there's also the conspiracy theory that, so obviously everybody knows that Epstein didn't kill himself. (laughs) That was done by someone. Definitely. Um, And obviously there is that kind of looming rumour that maybe the royal family had something to do with that. I don't, I'm not sure I believe that, but I don't think they were very sad to hear about it. No, and I think if there's anyone that can make him go away so quickly, as powerful as he was, it would be the royal family of some sort. I just, I, that's just my own personal opinion that I think they would have a huge involvement in making that guy disappear, especially because. And it's have, not the first time we've seen that because no. we've also seen it with things like Diana, which again, I don't have a very strong opinion about one way or the other, but there, there is conspiracy that they were involved in that. So it's not the first time that they've been. Mm. But I think even with Diana's words, I think the reason why the conspiracy is backed up with Diana is because she outrightly said they're going to kill her. Like, she made no bones about it. She had an interview. She said it on, I think, more than one occasion on a public interview that she feels like they are trying to kill her. And so for most conspiracy heads, that's not a massive conspiracy. That's just fact that she felt that way and it ended up happening i think she even said it would have something to do with a car accident so it's not that unplausible to believe that they killed her and plus if you understand the history of the royal family 
this is basically what they do. Like, <laughs> this is what I don't understand. If you read a lot of their history, it involves killing a lot of people that they dislike. I mean, that's how you become powerful in the first place. Let's make no bones about it. You don't become a royal family from sitting around and being nice. You become a royal family in the past from doing quite harsh things to other people and gaining that respect or fear and that position usually from fear and usually from you know the fact that you can do more harm than the other part you can yeah and even if the modern royal family are completely squeaky clean i think it would be naive of anyone to believe they didn't have the means to do these sorts of things exactly and i think that's that's pretty much what i'm trying to get across here is that if, if they wanted to do it they they more than can do these things Another interesting episode, I believe. I think there's a lot there to unpack. I think other people want to go away and try and dive into this any further than we have. We'd love to hear your your thoughts and your views on this subject. If you can find that documentary, let us know. Yes, if you can find that documentary, <laughs> I would love to watch it. Um, because, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch it as of yet. And I think it would be a very good watch. But in some ways, I'm kind of glad I haven't watched it. We've relied on, I suppose the other sources of information that we could find because I think they may, from what I've heard, be a lot more reliable sources than that documentary, but it would be a good watch nevertheless. Yeah. And it's important to note, actually, I didn't say this earlier, but even when I was researching this, there are a lot of articles about this, but some of them I thought or believed to be so unreliable. I didn't even include them Mm. Um, because as I was reading them, Though it was just full of facts that I already knew not to be true, so didn't even include the things I hadn't heard because I had I had no faith in it being true. So just right. be careful. <laughs> There's a lot of fake news out there. <laughs> Donald Trump would like to say, "We've got to do an episode on Donald Trump at some point." I must I must admit, that there's so much surrounding that guy. He's a fascinating individual, um, to say the least. But yeah, one day, if listeners want to get involved with the show Zoe how can they do that yeah you can contact us and please do we'd love to hear from you with any suggestions any comments on the episodes we've done so far anything you want to hear from us in the future you can get us on Facebook at the curious cat podcast you can get us on Twitter at curious cat pod and Instagram curious cat pod so that's c-u-r-i-o-u-s cat pod Yes, and remember, if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes or any podcast service for that matter, please don't forget to leave either a review, comment, or if they have a star system, give us some stars, please, so we can try and work our way up the massive podcast ladder. At some point, we will be introducing a Patreon, but uh, we'll give you the details of that in future episodes if you would like to donate and support the show. So that's it then from us. I'd like to say goodbye from me and goodbye and thank you for listening.